And it's Jay. I'm back in with another one. And today I have with me. It's Drew. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm amused. And I, I love that we're going to talk about this because this has kept me amused over the last 24 hours. And sometimes it is okay to just be amused by something that is absolutely ridiculous. And so I'm going <laughs> to because it is absolute ridiculousness. But we got some, but you know, me and you get together, we always got more deep and insightful thoughts, even about stuff that's ridiculous. Very true. Very true. I'll say what a way to start the new year off. I got told about this video. I got uh, one of your famous texts like, hey, uh, what do you, <laughs> what do you, what do you think? I'm like, about what? And you send me this video with Cat Williams visiting a club Shay Shay. And after I got a chance to watch, matter of fact, it was almost like contraband. I was almost, I remember even listening to like the first 15 minutes, I was texting you. I was like, hey man, do you think they're going to pull this? Because I could tell from the beginning it was, it was going there very quickly. Yeah. If you stopped at the first 15 minutes, you could actually be relevant <laughs> in all the conversations because he covered it all yes. and then reiterated it later and added names and places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is quite the storyteller for sure. Um, one thing I will pull early from what he said that I thought was interesting was this whole thing with the uh, age of truth, but also the truth in the eyes of the beholder and depending on the person whose truth it is. But it's just all this stuff with just behind the scenes, under the curtain secrets just stuff it just seemed like even before this i remember us talking we were talking about like kirk franklin and his situation with his dad and his mom and stuff and then the tyler perry thing and even with that the information that was coming out that wasn't necessarily all known particularly at, at one time even during our conversation when he says the age of truth and, and just it's just like it i've we've been noticing that and seeing it for a minute now where it's just stuff that was unknown is all of a sudden known and it's just interesting to see the reactions of it and i'm really curious uh, us as a society what are we going to do with that does that mean like the people who information is being shared i know they want it to be just you know thrown under the rug and just continue forward i know the the government want to be thrown under the rug and, and keep going i know you know certain things to keep things rolling but like what are we going to really do with just all these truths that wasn't there before that are there today and not even related, but just related with the age of truth. During the same time where all this stuff is going on with the Cat Williams interview with, with Shannon Sharp and all that other kind of stuff. You know, when I was up late night working on some other stuff, and this is late at night, I was seeing stuff feeds going out about, you know, Epstein list and stuff like that. Like stuff that doesn't hurt anything that's well, during the day, but Epstein is like, you know, one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I do think one of the things about this age of truth as I see it, is that it won't be accusations placed on people unsolicited. I think it'll be more about people's actions confirming their past actions or their past transgressions. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. like with Diddy, it was like, oh, it's a rumor. And then Diddy pays up and then more stuff comes out. Yeah. But we for years had been knowing and hearing about it. Yeah. Now it's time to sprinkle in. And not that I'm not just standing this because of like church or whatever, right? Right. Like, for example, or at least for me, mm -hmm. I never heard anything negative about TD Jakes in that particular way. Yeah. For people to be like, you know, like with the pal loan for him, it's like, yeah, I think this is going to pass with him because I think we just don't like religion right now as a people. Like, and not just black people. I think people are struggling with religion 
And so religious leaders are easier to focus in on. But we'll, you know, but there's nothing about his actions. So like, God rest his soul, Eddie Long. People said things, and yeah. then we saw actions. Right, right, right. Uh, people are after William Murphy right now within the church world. They he didn't got too loose, this, that, another. And then they they got footage of his church service where they they playing a really old young jock song in church. Um, and it's like the church has turned into the club in Atlanta. Well, those are his actions. If that was always the underlying theme, well, now his actions are starting to show the truth. So I think a lot of that is what we're going to be seeing is people just not caring and letting it all hang out or the trial is just going to reveal footage like Jonathan Majors. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be confirmation on ideas that we thought and stuff that people were made to seem like they were silly for thinking or saying, you know, we're just getting the the receipts for it. Because I'll tell you the truth. Now, did I hear that about T.D. Jakes? No. Did I kind of wonder? Yes. But the main thing that made me wonder is like, what was he doing hanging out with those folks? Those are actions too. And it's almost like if that was my kid and they was hanging out with certain people, I don't have to question my kid. As sweet as I might think my kid is, I have to question the company. That That's a factor. That's real. That's real. When, yeah, when especially, and this is, and we'll move off of the church part of it. But if you are hanging out if you're a church person and you're hanging out with so quote unquote secular people or people who are in that particular realm people will question you it will seem odd if it seems like you're chasing celebrity culture and typically there is a humbling that we see happen amongst people who everybody gets lured away in different ways regardless of his you know chasing celebrity culture or whatever it could be some at your job you know but uh but you do get it. There's a time in the season where you get a call out. And I think we're going to start seeing people, you know, like going to get called out for having work wives, yeah. stuff like that. So I don't think it's just celebrities. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's going to be cats that's like, well, you know, I got my work wife and then I got, nope, that's all about like your wife about to find out about your work wife. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I Like I said, it, it, it would be different if it, if it was switched where you saw like, you know, Puffy hanging out at TD Jake's church. That would be more of a like, oh, okay, they're hanging out, but he's trying to, you know, bring them over versus him being on the other side, you know. So location, location, location. It definitely makes a makes a difference. But like I said, there's a lot of stuff unearthing, and it's just interesting to see. And like I said, my bigger question, or me just being curious, is what is that going to mean, and what are we going to do with it? But like I said, a lot of stuff we do already know, or we already suspect, but just these receipts of things like now that we have the list now that we know this about this person or that about this person what is that now you know but yeah. um i think it's Cat. only f- huh what i was gonna say is i think it's only fitting for you to kind of start this off because you don't want to send me the the video that kind of took away my day yesterday <laughs> i watched it a couple times i watched people's thoughts on it i heard like some rebuttals i heard you know actually i just kind of kept going back to the same videos looking at listening to different parts or because just like i can't believe that was said or it's just a lot there to dig in and i think just one simple pass is not enough for that conversation i would never expect anything like that from shannon sharp yeah well so i think <laughs> as a person who watches club shay shay frequently right yeah yeah kind of like all right i know he gets down to the nitty-gritty but he gets down to it with people who want to you could tell half of the people who are on there for PR stunts, they're yeah. selling something, and the people who's ready. We had talked about Kurt Franklin ourselves, yeah. like, and, and what, you know, and this was all our album being released, documentary. Yeah. 
leading up to the album once the album's released you know he did media so what but the thing is i remember watching kurt franklin's and kurt walked away just as real as cat but yeah. more grounded because you could tell there's more mental stability with uh with kurt franklin because you we know the work that kurt's doing kurt ain't just talking just to be talking so but so point is like being a fan so i always get the updates when like you know because I, I subscribe whatever so i get the yeah. update but this time i didn't get the update wife see and then i wouldn't even have thought about it because i ain't huge on watching cat williams all the time right yeah. mm -hmm. I, i'll catch it but in yeah. an interview he act different in interviews than he act on stage mm -hmm. and other things he does that thing where he sits up straight yeah. and he starts talking prim and proper and he tries yeah. to and i don't like when he does that that thing so i typically don't watch him and then he usually cat i mean like he really be lying like not about own people yeah but he be exaggerating numbers he be saying stuff like he's like you know i've had 12 stand-ups that's a record and and then you look it up and you be like yeah it ain't a record you know and i, I remember thinking just off the top of my head like when he started talking about all the specials he had and how much money he made from him, and it's like, that don't add up, man. Like mm -hmm. some stuff be common. So for me, I, I wasn't, but I got the, I got a, uh, a, a reel from my wife and she was like, oh, he wilding out. And this was, it had only been out for an hour. <laughs> and so I got the little reel right away. This reel was the one of him talking about Cedric the Entertainer. Oh. Talking about see him in a hallway. He and he stands up and you know he's little. He stands up and uh he talking about I'll punch him right in his belly or something, you know. Right, right. So my favorite part, and this is what made me go watch and commit to the whole two hours and 45 minutes, mm -hmm. was my man Ali Sadiq, my favorite comedian right now. Okay is in the comments he's like keep that same energy playboy because if i see you in the hallway it's on because just the way cat act like his stuff don't stink ali sadiq got a story about cat where ali sadiq tore it up he was supposed to do two shows yeah ali tore it up he was his opener when he came to houston yeah ali tore it up the first show standing ovation crowd rocking all of a sudden security surround Ali, escort him out to the uh, outside and they hand him a check and say, cat doesn't need your services for the rest of the day. Oh. And this is Ali's hometown yeah. in Houston. So he got people showing up for the next show, all this stuff. And he just tell them, nah, you gone. And the story behind it was Ali tried to upstage him. And all it was was Ali was just doing his material, which yeah. was better than his at the time. Right. And so, that's one story to be honest with you of all the stories i've heard about cat williams yeah, yeah that's the one and only real negative story i've ever heard but I, that was one of the first things i saw i also saw like jonta austin or jonte austin which r b guy from years ago songwriter. Yeah, yeah he's in the comments he's like no nah, said said stand up is on netflix right now i didn't bother to go look but it's just like <laughs> immediate response where he's like, you can't find none of his stuff on Tubi nor on Netflix. And that was a joke, man. I think I thought I took it as a joke. But to be honest, the fact that you can't think of what he had on there, or you had, or didn't even care enough to go check, it's, that yeah, that's the point. point. Yeah. If a tree falls in a forest and you don't hear it, did it fall? No, it did not. <laughs> that's what Cat is the master of. He brings you the most obscure statistics that you wouldn't know about. 
he tells you stuff about him that's just like it's so outlandish that it's like well who's gonna double check that like no one was there so he's made up his own thing like he said he went and moved to florida all on his own at the age of 13. well who can dispute that it seems highly unlikely highly unlikely but who's gonna dispute it who's gonna stand like he's like yeah i was i was homeless i hitchhiked down to florida i was living on my own i was homeless I can't dispute what that man is saying because it is possible, yeah. but very highly unlikely. Um, you know, but you get what I'm saying. He said he he reads. Cat said he uh, he speed reads and can read like he's read up to three thousand books in a year. No, no, he he said between the ages of I think he said four and twelve or something like that. I because yeah. I, I, I remember hearing that too. I'm like, wait, what are you saying? But he was talking about the books that, yeah. but still, I'm sure it's exaggerated. Just like, oh, special kind of books, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> like that, but it's those type of things. Like, what do you say? He can run a 440, and like you know, like he he gave a. He said he can still play 11 games of basketball back to back. Hey man, you over 40? You, uh, even in, in good shape, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Jamal Crawford can't run 11 <laughs> games back to back. Unless y'all going to 21 or something like that. <laughs> but like, come on, man. It's so it's those little bitty things that it's amusing. I don't never know if he's fully telling the truth, but you ain't got no reason not to believe him. Why would he lie? Half truth. So I, isn't it special? Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say when it comes to comedians and stuff like that, I I I put like this. I don't know any comedian that I heard an interview with that I didn't kind of question or all the stuff they said would sound like extra, to be honest. Like they, oh. they're gonna have flourishes, you know, they, there's, like you said, like a ma an actual master storyteller. <laughs> That's what they are, master but, storyteller. But that doesn't mean there is any truth to it and stuff. So it is like a, always a thing where, you know, I wouldn't expect for it to be, um, you know, exact, exact. And sometimes when people are in the moment of stuff too, I don't expect it to be all the truth. They're saying it the best they can. And I just even know that from even, you know, doing the podcast, like I'm thinking it sounds right, but I'm like, did I say it? Well, I'm going back to go listen. I'm like, did I say it like that? I didn't mean it like that. So you sometimes know, you have it in your head together, but when you're saying it, you know, which happened with something on that, on the ep on the show where even the, um, the producers fact checking, like, Hey, let's, let's try to make this straight before we put this out, which was a great thing to do, which I never really see much of. So I, I guess that they didn't edit it out. So I think it was kind of neat to, to see that behind the scenes of confirmation. You know, I think that's the interesting thing about that particular interview was that that's what made it two hours and 46. I believe that the whole entire interview was two hours and 46 minutes. I didn't really see a lot of awkward cut. Points. No, no, me either. Me either. It was pretty raw. Yeah, I do believe that it was a raw interview and I don't and they their marketing strategy for Club Shay Shay is, is brilliant because we've got they put they had all the clips locked and loaded and ready. Yes. Yeah, clean too. Yeah. So if you yeah. drop on X, you know, they went on X and dropped like several four minute clips oh. of him talking stuff about people. And it makes you have to invest into because if if I'm just on the surface level, I don't care to listen to Cat for two hours and forty six minutes, but because they put out those four minute clips where he's mm -hmm. talking stuff about Luda, talking stuff about Steve Harvey, and they chose the biggest names to say, "Hey, man, Cat's over here acting crazy about these people." It was it's just it's Chef's kiss when it comes to 
marketing your podcast, it gets no better. I will be implementing that into my classes now. Like I'm going to be showing people like, this is how you really like I, when I watched, when I watched his uh, thing, mm -hmm. uh, when I watched it, it was at 800,000 views this morning. It was at 5.8 million. So wow. 5 million more people watched me yeah. like, and it's two hours and 46 minutes. You understand from a streaming point of view, the amount of money that like from the revenue share point of view of what YouTube gives you for the amount of time, like listen, yeah. executively, if, if they have the, like the contract is, they got probably much more exclusive contracts than what we would get as content creators. Right. But just that episode alone, just that episode alone made YouTube millions of dollars, millions yeah. of like, of like you know, like I'm talking upwards, yeah. you know, like it made them a ton of money and whatever creator would be responsible for that, getting that. So it's just like, it was, it was, it was great. But within the interview, he talks about so many different people that I found myself saying, I got to get a list. He talks about phase I love Ricky Smalley. Mm -hmm. Um, he gets into a brief, like he says some stuff about Chris Tucker. Yes. Um, <laughs> Cause he calls Chris Tucker out being on the Epstein list. You know, he goes down the line. He talks about so many different people. Like he mentions Michael Jackson with, you know, like in his relationship with Chris Tucker, he mentions ludicrous. The thing that he mentioned, and I've always, uh, I've always thought, and he was been one of the first people to say out loud. He talks about all these men's wives looking exactly alike. Which He's is true. racially ambiguous. Yes. Light skin that they all go out and get that yeah. is like, so he mentions Michael Blackston, uh, so many different people like that. You just earthquakes, you know, Steve Harvey, earthquake said earthquake. He can read. Yeah. Like said earthquake couldn't read. And, I, and, and here's the thing. Earthquake has a current show radio show. So I'll be, and I know earthquake ain't scared to, cause even though he said earthquake is one of the funniest men in the world. Mm -hmm. See earthquake also was on like the Chris rocks, uh, Chris rocks. Everybody hate Chris. And he had parts. And so it's sort of like this whole concept that Earthquake can't read, but Earthquake often brags about the concept that he is a good writer and that he, you know, so like this, it'd be interesting to see what some people's retorts would be. So far, Ricky Smiley and Michael Blackston have, have given replies and Kevin Hart did a punt fake. And of course, <laughs> because it's too many people, yeah. because, like Kat said, and we'll talk about this in today's show a little bit is the factor that and we can get into it now if you want to. Kat alluded to the uh, concept that Tiffany Haddish, as well as Kevin Hart, are industry implants. Yeah. Uh, and I've always had my suspicion about the two of them in that particular way. Yeah. Because I knew Kevin's heart. I knew Kevin Hart's story was a little bit more organic than Tiffany Haddish's. Yeah. Tiffany seemed very cookie like it seemed it was like it, it checked all the marks. I was homeless. Mm -hmm. I was this, but then like all these little things pop up where it's like, you was on pimp my ride. Like, uh, you know, like you just are where a struggling actress, they slapped a Jewish last name on you and had you go show up to the comedy cellar, which is a more Hollywood opposed to like the comedy store. It's a lot of line skipping. Place. Yep. So it was amazing that she somehow was in the right place at the right time to be able to skip the line. Where with one thing about Kevin Hart's story is that Keith Robinson confirms that like, yeah, the little dummy wasn't funny. That's because he calls him a little dummy. 
Yeah, he affectionately calls him little dummy. So he's like, yeah, no, little dummy was out there calling himself Kev the Bastard. So I changed his name to just his regular name. Yeah. And then I brought him up to the comedy store up in New York where he got a chance to sit with Patrice O'Neill. And so the factor that he got a chance to sit in rooms with comedy legends, yeah, he could be funny by association. So I believe some of that part of the story, but like Kat pointed out, how could you simultaneously be building your Hollywood comedy, you know, chops at the same time as your New York comedy chops? And they don't line up. Right. Like, I don't think he did the LA circuit the way he tells the story that he did. He said he got a few movies because mm -hmm. I've read Kevin Hart's book. I read all the comedians books. Tiffany Haddish and Kevin Hart book might have well been the same exact book. The first mm -hmm. one um that they had put out they their life story seems very similar it did not seem that organic uh whereas like leslie jones's book i just read yeah pretty organic you could tell it's real cat williams plays a huge part in her life he was the first one to take her out on tour and give her actual real money where she had been you know been doing comedy since the late 80s right you know she took a few years off but point is cat was the first one to say i got you Right. You know, so it, it's interesting to see that, like, he's been calling them out for years and saying their comedy implant or their industry implants. Yeah. I believe him on that. Yeah, I, I believe it, too. I thought it was interesting when, like, Soul Plane came out. I'm thinking, like, who's this guy that was a lead? Because even back then, they would put Snoop Dogg as a lead. You know what I mean? So I thought it was kind of weird that not that Snoop Dogg was a great actor or anything like that. But, you know, that would be a movie that would be more helmed on him than, like, this guy named Kevin Hart, which I didn't really understand. And Tiffany Haddish, I think I first kind of realized or recognized her when Arsenio Hall had came back again for the second time. And she would be there doing skits and stuff. And she would be like the uh, the black girlfriend of the white guy that, that she's too much for him. And so I remember her from that. And then year, a couple of years later, I seen her on more stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a chick from, from the skits from the uh, Arsenio Hall show. And so, uh, but yeah, Kevin Hart, like I said, I never really found him to be be that funny, but people seem like they really liked him. And it did seem like he just kind of came out of nowhere. And, he, and the way he broke it down and said, like, you know, he's in the star in this movie and all this other kind of stuff. But to be honest, the same person, this another person that was always getting these kind of things, and I don't know how he really got started, got started, or why he got so many chances was uh, Dave Chappelle. I was always surprised by him because he's been in stuff forever. He's always been around. He's always been having... You know, because usually it seems like, I don't know, I, I think that a lot of people have chances, but it's amazing to see the folks who gets more than three, or they always seem to be on stuff. Because like, Dave Chappelle was like in like, what, Men in Tights and stuff, something like that back in the day. And he was in like, uh, The Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy. So he's in different stuff. So he's always kind of been around. And so I was always kind of wondering, since he didn't like blow up back then when they kept trying to put him in little things, like, what did he do? The, the reason why people kept bringing him back. Now, it could have been a thing where, you know, people found he thought he was funny and just like, I'm gonna keep rooting for you or he had the right people in his life or whatever to, to keep him, you know, in the fold or whatnot. But, um, but he's been around for a long time. And it's just interesting to see. I was yeah. kind of curious how some people just kind of be in these big old movies and have all these chances when some people you see them one time, it didn't work out, they're gone. There's no, there's no strike five or strike, strike, strike 12. You know, if you didn't and, make it, know, it's gone. You know, there's some people who their funny doesn't translate to 
the big screen the way you would think and then there's some people who are just they find their niche yeah. uh what's the one brother who was in how to be a player uh bill bellamy but then there was what perry i think yeah yeah name. yeah like he he is a person who owns the la comedy scene mm -hmm. so he's only in that movie because that movie is cast off of who's a part of the la comedy scene at the time so you're you're seeing some of the the key people who made their way out of like that tuesday but so it's like you see these people who you see these people who kind of like that's why they were a part but it didn't translate well to the big screen it's like he's that kind of funny there are very few people who can do both yeah and some people they do they get a chance to do both and you wonder why like for example i laugh at jb smooth on screen frequently yes never really laughed at his stand-up that much yes i'm the same way with mike epps i don't like his stand-up but i think he's funny when he's like on a movie or a show i think he, he cracks me up but his jokes and stuff eh. i'm not yeah. a big fan of mike epps like that the one thing about cat that i can say is that he appeals to the hood side of me like he's always <laughs> like i've always thought that he was just as real as somebody but up until recently and i'm talking leslie jones's book and a few other people pointing out, yo, Cat been around. Yeah. You just don't remember he was Cat in the Hat and all these yeah. other different things, but he been around. Yeah. Well, a long time, I felt like when he blew up that he could have been an implant because it seemed like we saw him as Money Mike and then boom, he was everywhere for a while. Yeah. And I was like, and I never saw the, the process, but when you put someone on like Def Comedy Jam and Comic View, it's a compilation kind of show. So it's cookie cutter. You don't remember who's who unless yeah, yeah. that person really stood out. Yeah, like yeah. I remember my favorite person from a uh, my favorite stand up from a deaf comedy jam. I say now I can say probably I can understand what Bernie Mac did mm -hmm. and why it was so funny. Yeah. But that's like now. But yeah. back then I thought Reggie McFadden did a set yeah. that I thought was the funniest set ever. He got a chance to be on Martin one time. Yeah. Just he didn't have the star power. It didn't translate over. It didn't go. So for Cat Williams to kind of have a little bit of both, mm -hmm. I always identify that like he, you know, him and Mike Epps, I feel like they they hood funny. Like they seem yeah. like they were funny people, even if they just worked at the job with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you never thought of Cat's comedy being funny? I never put Cat in my top anything. You wow. get what I'm saying? Okay. Like I never put him past top five. Five if. If I'm doing a top five comedians, I'm putting him at five. And the reason why is because I kind of felt like he was a little gimmicky. Okay. Which comedians have the right to be, you yeah, know, yeah. like did for me. The whole uh Larry the Cable guy and all that, that mm -hmm. whole bill. He came up like he in this, he, right. this, he came under them. And that makes sense which, for his whole shtick with the whole pimp thing. Like that kind of he was in yeah. one foot and you know, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that about cat and this ain't a like a slight at him but that one of the things that i recognized was that like yo you've been around all these white comedians like you say you came up under them you're not throwing any shade at them there was no no there's no shade to be thrown at a bill bird no 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 other comedians you're throwing shade at only the black comedians and you're claiming you're only throwing shade at them because they threw shade first so be it so but what i'm saying is like his experience he said he learned from from everybody. He's been around at all all of them, and I'll say outside of throwing some shade at Gary Owen, which he did, yeah. uh, saying he couldn't cross over. He really he only gave high praise 
to most of the white comedians that he had experience with. And Dave that Chappelle as well, who had a similar probably coming up as him too, because Dave even said he worked with different, you know, folks too, because this crowd wasn't always black either. I remember when Dave Chappelle came out and I was kind of like, I was surprised he was funny. And to see his audience, I was thinking like that he definitely not for us. But so, so I was almost surprised that I, his joke, like I remember one of the first jokes I heard from him was talking about how he was hanging out with his white friend. They were just smoking weed in the car. The cops pulled him over. And he was talking about like the, um, the white boys turned up the, the music. We're not going to take it. And he's like, I don't want to, you know, like black people will turn that down because we don't want to get our butt beat to a soundtrack. And so to yeah. me, that was hilarious because you know, that was him and his reality and who he hung with. And it kind of made sense. It kind of lined up with his whole half-baked movie and being a weed head with the, with the white boys and, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it kind of fit to that, but it didn't make that not funny. And so it wasn't until later I was surprised of his, you know, black consciousness about <laughs> I was almost surprised that he had that in him because his earlier stuff I never knew him to he never portrayed that in his in his jokes to me even though they were insightful I never took it as being and I don't like how it's used now but woke so I thought it was interesting later on when he turned out to just really have this strong quote-unquote black edge to him when when he came out, he was just like the, the awkward black dude that hung out with the white boys smoking weed all the time. So I, you know, I thought it was interesting. Um, I read a book called uh, Searching for Dave Chappelle. And it <laughs> talked about, uh, and it's not, it's unauthorized, uh, but it's it tells all these stories in detail from someone who had been covering him since he showed up at the com at the DC comedy on the, you know, at 17. Okay. So, you know, 15, 16, doing comedy as a young boy and his mom dropping him off and sitting in the back of the room or whatever because he couldn't even be in the room without her. He told that story and, at, his, at, his, at a ceremony where he got that award, which I thought was really yeah, sweet. Yeah, so he's really been a part of the comedy scene. He's, he was an important person because um, where he, I think he had got Tony Woods as a mentor for yeah. a while out of the DC scene where like Kevin Hart got you know, got a guy like everybody gets someone. Yeah. And I, Tony Woods helped him like kind of work material and, and, and do some things. You could hear the influence on how he delivers. Yeah, it was From, yeah, yeah huge influence for a while. And then he had to find his own voice. Yeah. I think when you work certain scenes, you know, you, you end up in a situation where you got to please a particular audience. I think that's the big difference between Dave and Kat. I don't think I, I've never felt like Cat had the crossover appeal um, as far as, you know, white people can show up to a show, but it wasn't for his, the, the stand-up humor has never been for them. Yeah. And so even like the dispute that he mentions on Club Shay Shay when he's talking about Cedric the Entertainer stole his joke, which he did. <laughs> you can go on right now and kind of see the comparison. Yeah. He, he mimics Cat. I mean, he changes it a little bit. Yeah. Know, so if on the surface level you can let it slide if you've seen one but you can just tell that he knew he was going out on tour he knew that this was going to be the biggest tour of all time he knew that he had to get good material the funny thing about that is there's a guy another comedian who was like who cat calls and says hey man i'm gonna kill cedric he out here i'm at the theater right now and he's stealing my material mm -hmm. and it was like no nah, that's an honor man he gonna he gonna put you on 
this is good for your career don't even trip all comedians this you should be flattered and he said i'm glad you said that because he's still in your routine right now as we speak he popping and locking as we speak and that guy's whole routine was him coming out and popping and locking and like pulling up white people on the stage and popping with them mm. and said ended his like he was doing he implemented two other people's acts in the end this is common in comedy yeah but there is a thing that happens where people approach you and say can i buy your joke right right or and then like because dave uh there was like uh dave tells a story about how like three people because he was a new jack they walked up on him was like yeah this is good kid can i can i use your joke and he's like yeah that'd yeah. be great and it's it, it, I just gave my joke away. It's right. that person's joke now because they're bigger than me. Right. And so I can understand Kat having a sense of bitterness about that. It's funny because, and this is just a, my opinion thing, it wasn't that funny of a joke. But I, I also can understand, like he said, he had to have Mark Curry, you know, help him punch it up. Uh, punch it up and, and, and do all those things which is another common thing you get with a, another writer or another comedian and they help you bring it home because two minds are better than one um in the case of like when we talked about kevin harder earlier he talks about in his book patrice o'neill taking some of his material and be like look here dummy you should say this this and this so he was in a room with richard voss um you know like all these different people who were just extremely funnier than him yeah. and they punched up most of his material and got him to the point where he was good so with cat i'm always interested in like he creates this superman thing but i've never met a comedian every last single one of them has someone who helped punch up their material who was right like richard Pryor had paul money yeah. you know like everybody had someone and cat's the first one who's coming around like nope all me and it's like really like he claims that you know like he the people he put on he said the people that open for him are always funnier than him but then there's conflicting stories from like ali sadiq who's like i opened but i wasn't allowed to be as funny as i could be in my own hometown you know so it's like i don't know what to believe necessarily from cat yeah. but it is interesting because I don't feel like Cat got that crossover. Like I know he's a celebrity, but I don't think white. I don't think the white well, America messes with him like that. No, um, no. Like Gary Owen, I don't, I don't think white folks really mess with his comedy either. He, it's almost like he chose a side, <laughs> and they're gonna let you have it. You know. So the thing that tripped me out in this show or in this interview too was he gave credit to the concept that he was the one who set down Steve Harvey. Like he was the reason that Steve Harvey had to stop doing stand-up because you know he got into a battle with him and he exposed the fact that Steve was always wearing that that wig or whatever. Right. That, that information could have came from him. I don't really know fully like what that story was. I would love to see the video on it. Yeah. But if that's the case, thank you, thank you, Cat, because <laughs> I personally yeah. never thought Steve Harvey yeah. was funny. Like, yeah. he targeted some of the least funny people like dl hughley's the truth i was and surprised was the truth. yeah okay now out of the kings of comedy bernie mac definite standout definite standout 
D.L. Hughley, I will tell you, I did not care for him until his show. And then when he got done with the show, he did his own thing. Because before, he'd be the kind of trying to, trying to cap on people in the front row. And I thought it wasn't really that funny, right? I was like, you looking crazy and you trying to say people look crazy in the audience. That doesn't, it's almost like, it, it almost doesn't work. So when he started kind of, kind of, you know, having this different kind of insight in his jokes and stuff later on, I thought he was hilarious. But when I initially saw him, like on Kings of Comedy, like I didn't, I didn't appreciate DL for, for, for his comedy stylings. Like, like I would pop in the Kings of Comedy just so I could go to Bernie Mac's part at the end and laugh and, and shut it off. You know, see him talking about popping, popping the kid in the throat and all that kind of stuff. And baby girl, you know, little kid and looking at me like I'm short and all those kind of like he was hilarious. The, the rest of them, mm, the best part about their, you know, their parts was like the intro music. <laughs> yeah, no. there's a banging intro music. And after that, you know, this, eh. is, this is a conversation about Bernie Mac that I've had before that I've always appreciated. Bernie Mac said some of the most homophobic things, but I would have never, even now, even if he was still alive, could never imagine asking him to apologize for it. Because listening to it, I always felt like it was authentic. I felt like he wasn't joking. And that was his generation. That was that time frame. And he said some, like he talked about beating kids. Yeah. He talked about it from a, <laughs> uh, from a homophobic point of view. Like he said a lot of stuff that is not okay. But to this day, regardless of how people change, when that come on, yeah. you say parts of it. I've heard people say, like in one breath, say something where they're trying to be an advocate, but then in the next breath, and I realize they quoting Bernie Mac when they say they'll bust somebody to the white meat. <laughs> you know, like, and so Bernie <laughs> Mac was like, he was the truth. And I think that's the difference between Dave Chappelle. I mean, but like, like when somebody wrote Kevin Hart's stand up, and he puts in the line when they wrote his stand up and he says, you know, his son, he was scared his son was going to be gay. So he was going to knock him down because, you know, another little baby was dancing on his baby. And they made him apologize for that. And he got mad and didn't want to apologize. And Kevin Hart gets canceled because of it or whatever. Right. Fake controversy. Bernie, not in a million years would we ever look back at that. Just the same thing, because I think it's priceless. When people are funny in that time frame, it's one of the reasons why Raw and Delirious will never, like we can question and say he can't say that now, yeah. but we will never, I will never watch an unedited, like if somebody like, well, we took those pieces out of Raw. I ain't interested. Right, it right, ain't right. Raw and it ain't Delirious. Right. Yeah, I, I do think the time, the timing, um, I don't know if that was his story. I just think he's not funny. So I think I, <laughs> I it's almost kind of like, you know, like with winning, it's like if you win by thirty points or one point, uh, winning is winning. So it just, I think it, it kind of goes like that. And like, and, and I think also the way Bernie Mac storytelling, the way he weaved it in, because he was talking about his nephew. So you know he loves his nephew. So regardless of him having issues with him, like you know he could have been, you know could have did a joke about his his nephew always lying or or whatever or or his head being too big for his body. You still know us for love for the same kid that he's talking junk about or talking about beating him to the white me shows or or he's being gay or whatever or, or baby girl being a, a a kingpin and she's you know two feet tall all that stuff is you know for for children that he adopted and calls his own so 
he's you know having feelings and, and and saying stuff to something that he definitely know he loves too even though he might have an issue with certain aspects about them and i think too with like you said if somebody's putting together you know a string of jokes for you or or something and you don't have a connection connection to it or figure out the right way to say it, it could be a problem bernie mac could have been in trouble for back then if if he if it wasn't said the right way so i i think i think it's just the the art of storytelling is a, a high factor in that um and that's why i think certain people you just kind of like you know like some folks you know get invited to the barbecue and some don't you know and it's because one is reading a certain kind of way where you feel it's authentic or you feel there's a connection and understanding and others you feel like they're faking a the funk and they may not even be but if it doesn't read right or it feels like they're trying too hard or just just out of context you know then it could be seen a certain kind of way and it's a fine line with all that stuff especially with comedy and art or anything else if you don't work it out right you know, even like you said, even Dave Chappelle's joke before he got a chance to to dust it off good. You know, like that's why they be trying out jokes and trying out the routines to try to find out the right way to say it. Just like Chris Rock, you got to find the right way to say it. Because, you know, that same joke, changing a few words or the tone or the punch of it is going to be a difference between a, a flat joke or one that has people, you know, reciting years from now. This is very yeah. interesting. I think one of the things I love, because I love comedy, all of my prefixes, four of the five prefixes in my car are the comedy channels on SiriusXM. Hmm. So this is how much I love comedy. So I got the Kevin Hart channel, the Netflix channel, you know, Netflix is a joke, the Raw Dog comedy, and even the, uh, the Clean Comedy channel. Like those are all my first four prefixes. Okay. So I'm always listening to stand-up. I'm all, if a comedian drops a book, as a special, I'm watching it. I'm not, and like, I just listened to, like, I just watched Lewis Belt's uh, stand up, dude from the Bay Area. Okay. Good. Watch, I'm watching him evolve. Great comedian. I'll subscribe to your Patreon. Like, I'll, I'll subscribe to Tony Baker's and, and Kevin on stages. I'll support comedy if I think that the person is authentic, mm -hmm. even if they're not like ha ha funny. Yeah, but the person is just flat out out there lying, or they come across corny, or I just feel like it's just not genuine. Mm -hmm. Then I ain't messing with it. And for me, that's kind of like where I always like I love Cat, but when Cat do them interviews, like his Larry King interview, yeah, it kind of turned me off from him because it's like, why are you talking different? It's like hearing your parents talk to the bill collector on the phone, and all of a sudden they got phone voice. It's like, man, cat, you this way. Now you get around white people and you like, well, you know, I have 10 children. And, and it's like, man, bro, okay, whatever. Like, but that's to each his own. He's a part of that generation too, where they they do act different in front of different demographics of people. So I I personally maybe. don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that, you know, I think that's okay, it's all code switching. But, you know, usually people who work behind the desk are yeah. not going to act the same way they will with their buddies. And I don't act the same way in front of my kids as I would my auntie or my grandmother. So people are, or even in church for that matter. But do any of those people say they keep it real and they, you'll never see them code switch? Do any of those people ever like brag? Yeah, people talk mess to their friends about what they go do or talk to their buddies about how they got their wives in check and stuff until their wives call them on their phone. The next thing you know, Sam got to go. So here's my res my response to that, though, is that you named authority figures such as bosses who are in charge of paycheck, 
You're talking about uh, mama, who's the authority figure in your life. You're talking about the code switch comes as a survival mechanism. You get on Larry King, you don't, there is no survival mechanism. You're Cat Williams, either you're entertaining or not. And so he tends to do this where he go, even with the count, even when he did that, it's like this condescending nature to it that I like said, it's fine. Everybody does have to code switch, right? Everybody has their version of it. Okay. It's like, don't be critical of other people's code switch. Yeah, that's fair. Do it. And on top of that, it's sort of like, bro, like, how many different sides are you? Like, we all, we're very all complex creatures. Sometimes it feels like I'll, I'll be wanting to know, well, who are you though? Like, are you this real? Like, cause it's like, I've, ne I've never done a heavy drug. I've never done, all these things can be true, but it's like your voice changes when you go to say these certain things. And that's why I'm always kind of like, I don't be knowing what to believe sometimes. Like I said, I, I don't mind that. And like I said, to me, code switching would be like, if you, somebody you respect or you, you, you know, have respect, not necessarily fear, but respect. And you want to present the, your best or you, what you feel is the best. I'm not saying this to be facetious. I do understand that I don't go clock in, right? Right. And before I did, when I did have anything close to clocking in, I did what we're doing right now for a living, right? Yeah. So my, me being this on and off works for me. Yes. Because yeah. this is what I'm supposed to do. So I think that's what gives me a different perspective because anytime I bring this up, I always have to point out, I understand the concept of what you have to do in order to survive in corporate America. Right. Uh, entertainment wise, all these different things. I think people have to be different in meetings than they have to be when the camera's on. I yeah. get that. We have to have different sides to us. I just don't believe that the, the black side of us, the more ethnic side of us is the wrong side all the time, who we are. And it shouldn't be viewed as inferior or as the one that we got to put up like now one of the reasons why you put it up sometimes because sometimes they still are flow and it ain't for everybody so sometimes if you see me zip up it's because i'm probably scoping the scene and i'm like yo this beauty that's within me ain't for everybody because they like to steal so i can get it i get you know i guess sometimes there are different reasons to change it up i think sometimes the point i was making about cat initially was that i feel like he does come across to me as disingenuous hmm. when he's given especially when i think some of his information be cat you know like okay. when i really feel like he be just trying to push a, a certain point across and then he gets you know prim and proper and it's like bruh come on now like i just don't i don't buy it fully but he's also from a different generation than me and the man is 100 better like 125 million percent times better businessman than i am so who am i to questioning a billion or a millionaire uh who runs his business successfully yeah. who am i to I, I would only hope that he would ask me to produce something for him so who am i to say anything hey like i said it's nothing wrong having to have an opinion like i said i i think everybody acts different for different folks and i know me hanging talking with my buddies would be different than how i would talk to yeah. my mom and so i'm just on a basic level and, and so depending on what you do and what I your situation so depending on the situation, I think everybody has a has a way. And I also think that certain folks too could bring things out of you. My close friends brings the silliness out of me. People who are not used to seeing me in that light would be like, you joke around that much? You think that kind of stuff? Like, cause I might not share it, you know? So it's, it's not for me to share. Is it bad what I'm thinking? No. Could it be misunderstood and taken the wrong way? Oh, yes, it could. And so, you know, you have your balance of 
depending on what you do, what you share and what you give and who it is and why you give it. So Charlie Rose would definitely be a different conversation because there it'd probably be less joking around. It'd be a lot less inside baseball about certain people and certain kind of things. Certain questions wouldn't even come up. Like I'll tell you, Sh Shannon, him and his his style, like I didn't know to to if I liked it or not, but he was just all over the place with the things that he was throwing out. And he'll throw some- The last 30 minutes got very, very, and this is where you can tell there's no journalistic training and that there's a producer. It's a it's an entertainment show because toward the end, he's inching, I won't say as far as his yellow journalism, but that the last 30 minutes, yeah. Shannon is doing something no one with any journalistic integrity would do. He's literally just saying, Kanye West, what you think about that? Jonathan Majors, yeah. what you think about that? Like, yeah. you could tell it, like, that I, part. I could tell if, he's running out of yeah i could tell he's running out of road and he was just trying to get some stuff in just some like rapid fire but usually if you're gonna do that kind of stuff you announce that's what it's gonna be so it won't sound like it's just crazy and you just saying some stuff but you know what that is what makes now let me say this the concept of what club shay shay is mm -hmm. that's what you're supposed to do i'm kicking it with my boy yeah. we having a couple of drinks and i ask him like yo man what you think about this me and you do this all the time yeah, we were we're spoke. We started off uh, like thirty minutes before we we cut the record button on. Right. We talked about Dave Chappelle, right? Because we care about what each other think about stuff. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that part is genuine to the to the routine. You know what I'm saying? But like when I think about it from like any other form of show prep and everything, that part was wild to see him go back to back with just like, what do you think about this? Well, what do yeah. you think about that? That that part threw me, but I what, understand it's part of the shtick. Yeah, what threw me was the fact he kept bringing up like, so how was it being in jail? It was weird. Like he attempts to be like he's this hardcore journalist asking these tough questions, and it's just like you just got into a conversation with him getting on a woman about the same thing, and you're gonna bring it up too. Like that's what kind of pissed him off when he was talking to that woman from that radio show. Yeah, I think her um, name was Wanda. Wanda Smith. Yeah, so that thing came up and he and the whole confrontation kind of came up when she was like, How was prison or something like that? So I ain't never been to prison. And so for that to be a whole thing and them to discuss that and all that, and then for him to throw out the same thing, it's like, did somebody put down a card and you just didn't know that you kind of covered it and saw it was kind of a funky situation? Don't ask that question again. And so you could tell that Cat is very quick witted and quick to respond. And I think that Shannon couldn't keep up with it. And you could tell he got a little shaken a little bit, or even with the stuff where he uh, brought up the stuff about him being married and stuff. Do you want to get married? And then I didn't understand why he wanted to back off of it. Like he was like, he said, I didn't say married. Right. He said, like, the cat just was like, and can you yeah. use voice? But when you look back at it, right. It like, and it's true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was weird that he would try to, like, I didn't say that versus saying, like, the whole thing about him going to jail. So it was just weird, the stuff that was kind of thrown in there. But uh, some of his spitball stuff that he was throwing out there, I, I'm glad he did because I got a chance to hear a little bit more about it, like the stuff with him being a family man and having 10 kids and how that for him to, be so busy and to work it out and to like do that alone and what's the situation with that and friendship with Prince and stuff like that. So those little things that kind of, and the whole, the whole thing that kind of came up in a weird way, the whole, you know, uh, cabal secret society thing came up that just to some of that stuff, just the way it kind of came up. I think that that Actually, stuff wouldn't have came up any other place, but here with his silly, butt asking crazy questions. Yeah. That, and, and I, I, and I think like I had told you earlier, man, I think, one thing is 
yeah, Cat isn't selling something. True yeah. enough. Not selling a tour. He's not selling a, a book or, or anything because he claims he doesn't need to. But one of the things the cat did do because of the competitive nature is both Chris Rock and Kevin Hart have a like documentary special out. And now they and then Dave Chappelle just dropped his special. Yes. Uh this past weekend. And I feel like there's no better way to say, regardless of what these top three comedians that you say are better than me are doing, all I got to do is go on this show, this podcast, <laughs> not even a special, and I can make you forget about everything that your top five is doing right now. And what your, you know, and I think that that he proved it. He's like, for all the shows that Steve Harvey got on TV, yeah. I ain't talking about Steve like you talked about me. Just so I thought him being on Club Shay Shay and saying, all of the stuff he said was a brilliant marketing strategy for the argument for the goat argument like you know, uh, but there's a difference between being infamous yeah and being known for your craft and i think that's the difference yes we've talked about cat about being more more about being infamous than about his actual jokes we talk about him being funny as a storyteller yeah. but like jokes that he crafted how many of them right now can you think of that? Like, and I'm not saying you couldn't, like yeah. there's some you can't think of, but off top, for what it's worth, I kind of know, even though I don't like him, I know a couple of uh, Steve Harvey jokes. I know Dave Chappelle jokes. Like I actually yeah. know stuff that I've seen them craft and put out there. And I don't like them. Like I don't necessarily laugh at Steve Harvey, but I know a couple of his jokes where with Cat, it's kind of hard to pin down a few. To, to be honest, I remember more of his jokes than I do the people he was talking about. I know more of his jokes than Steve Harvey's. I know more of his jokes than Cedric the Entertainer. I know more of his jokes than Ricky Smiley. I didn't know he was even a comedian like that. I just knew him dressing up like a woman and kind of acting silly. I didn't know he was, I didn't know he was like That's a joke joke. region too, because yeah. I'm from the Mid-South, right? Mm -hmm. And in the Mid-South, Ricky Smiley's a big name. Just like DC Youngfly, like to me, People love him. Like, do I get it? No. To me, it's, but it reminds me of the South. It reminds me of like the mixing the church stuff with the, you know, regular secular stuff. And, you know, that's that between both worlds where both would love him, you know. So, but yeah. Do I know I any know. of his jokes? No, I don't know his jokes. 100%. Yeah. You're right on point with what you're saying when you like review that concept of it. It's like, yo, I don't fully understand and get the concepts of uh, Steve Harvey's humor like that, right? Yeah. Like, I don't like it. It's my oh. mama. Theory. Yeah, I like, like his Steve show, Harvey, though. Steve Harvey could open up yeah. for a Medea play all day. And that's going to sell out an arena right? full of black women. Mm -hmm. Like, we talked about, you know, so he has his niche. Yeah. That's why he hosts the, the Dove Award, the Gospel Awards and stuff all yep. the time. Mm -hmm. So I understand, it, like, it ain't for me. Cedric Entertainer, he from around my way, kind of. Like, he a Missouri dude from yeah. St. Louis. Yep. He never really made me laugh. He was just there, part of the team. I didn't actually know about him until Kings of Comedy. Okay. So now you take someone like D.L. Hughley. I knew who he was. I know his jokes. And even though he does a lot of crowd work, yeah. which was growing up in the snapping area, yep. era, like where we love doing your mama jokes, stuff like that, knowing that he could like have some material and then organic, and always made it seem almost organic that he would just stop. Yeah, and then be like, act like he's legitimately. He did crowd work. Him and Martin did crowd work in a way that I was always like, "Yo, I'm scared to buy. I would be scared to buy front row tickets because okay. you just felt like they was gonna stop and figure something out. Like they was gonna say something about you." So, 
I, I like I, I I think Pat when I say it's hard for me to remember some of his jokes I think sometimes it's because he is very topical a little bit yeah. like when he started talking about politics and other things and then I just I never I never liked the pimp gimmick okay I I never cared for that so, either but I did like him talking about going to those parties and those rooms different rooms different stuff going on I like the stuff he's talking about like giving the kid the um he's been sitting there for a minute yes he has and then he's doing his jokes about the uh giving the kids the drugs and stuff and he's talking about what's wrong I'm trying to run daddy you know just stuff that was kind of like ooh, this is real but it's a joke but it's it's kind of messed up but it's a lot of truth in it and you know so it was just stuff like that but yeah the whole pimp persona thing like come on man he's five foot nothing with a perm kind of like you said like a hood comedian in a way yes of course of course i i didn't think of him the same or i didn't look forward to him the same way that i would eddie murphy or chris rock which i really liked back in the day people have talked about the putting on the dress thing uh, i want to say it was dick gregory was maybe one of the first people didn't even go deep into it yeah. but like people have said it for years that like white america is interested in making and demasculating the black man so they put the dress on i always feel like that's one of those in my mind i feel like there could be some validity to it right You're right but then i also feel like sometimes some controversies are handcrafted within the community and i don't know if it's just to further a homophobic and transphobic uh you know way of you know of thinking just putting and so ricky smiley in his response today was like yeah i did a character and i did it for the sake of funniness that don't make me less or more of a man you take a look at uh like when cat made the comment like that tyler perry and, and ricky smiley can't play a man to save their life like he's saying this as a joke and being deep like he's putting out that whole thing of like insulting these individuals because it makes it definitely elevates him to some extent as being like yo look i didn't do it and look at you know look at me but also on the same token we could say you didn't there's a lot of stuff like when he said there was five different times that he had to turn down 50 million dollars yeah. he had also said all of kevin hart's most of kevin hart's films were on his desk first and he said let's just turn down the coonery or you know some of the yeah. uh you know some of that stuff and they went to kevin instead yeah those things it's like okay you're tearing these men down because they took advantage of certain opportunities that they had to feed their families and to do what they had to do there are some people who could take the high horse with cat and be like you chose to be one of the biggest issues that we have in our community one of the things to go back to another one of our shows what what were the the different there was the drug dealer and there was the pimp and uh they cloned tyrone yeah so cat chose to be a clone you know you know like these these are the characters that are uh blights on our community and you chose to take on that character because it was more masculine and whatnot and yeah you took the rape out of it because rape ain't funny i can agree with that and but there was some about that whole thing that you may have asked them to take that out but I still kind of, it's still kind of, for a second until they went back to having him clamp, do the clamp scene or whatever. Yeah. It, it still kind of was there. The rape joke was still insinuated throughout the thing, but yeah. But also he did choose an avatar that people listen to. 
that's why they yeah. was kind of chosen and they cloned Tyrone. And, and his perspective on some of that stuff, to me, it kind of speaks to what you were saying about like, for the most part, you're your own boss. So you would see it differently. Just like he was seeing it, see it differently because he's his own boss. Just like Dame Dash going to the breakfast club, hearing like, hey, you should own everything you, you know, that sounds crazy to somebody who stuck to a nine to five who don't know no better. But as time went on, people are more kind of unraveling that understanding. It's not an insult. It's his insight from his perspective. He doesn't have to dress up for anything. He doesn't, he owns his own stuff. So, he, you know, so his whole world is, is a one of kind of, in a way, freedom in a way. It's, it's heavy in another way too. So you hear more people talking like this who have their own and it's not wrong, but it's definitely a perspective. And it's not gonna be a perspective of most because most it's not like that. And the people who might, understand and see that are people who own their own stuff and that might not be a lot of minority people like that but the ones you know they might see it a certain kind of way just like prince when he started trying to have his own that sounded crazy i'm gonna have my i'm gonna sell my album on the internet like what are you crazy you don't want to be a warner brother They'll get your stuff out there own your own masters what that's you can you can even own your own masters wait a minute if I don't own my own masters, who own my masters? Oh, the the record company. So all that stuff, all that all that freedom talk is is foreign to folks who's stuck on the plantation. Yeah, my, myself Not included. Myself included. Where I didn't understand what it was because at first it sounds insulting or lofty or not a real thing, but it is a real thing. But it, you know, it's it's a hard truth to get hit when you you know driving sixty miles per hour on the freeway, then you have to stop, instant stop. It's a lot. That's not a slow stop. Own your masters. That's not a slow stop. You know, be your own boss. Own your own stuff. That's not a slow stop. That's instant. That's it, instant. And, and it could be jarring. And it could yeah. sound unrelatable. Like Dave Chappelle, you know, having this, like you saying, like his like, I'm I'm rich jokes. It's still, he's still talking truth. His side of it is not shared by everybody, but it doesn't mean his perspective isn't right or for the people. And like, like I said, that's why he was saying like, either way, my taxes are fine. You know, I'm getting a hookup. So it's almost like I can say what I want for the most part, and I don't have a dog in a fight, but I'm still trying to do what I feel or say, still say truth to power, regardless of how you take it, because, you know, regardless, I'm fine. And so, yeah. So anytime you have people who in those situations, the root of where it's coming from, it's going to always be a little different than those that are planted in the soil that's in the box versus the ones who are out in the field that's free to do what they want. The roots could go where they want. The leaves could grow up as high as they want. All of us is in the box. We're getting pruned all the time. We, you know, our roots can't get through the, you know, through the cement that's below that's in the box that we were planted in. So it's a, it's a, yeah. Hmm. That's a beautiful analogy. But yeah, I mean, like, they're serious. Like, that's, that's the best, that's one of the best ways to put it. I think for me, I think like it's just like you said it's easy to forget perspective like when you talk about the analogy of like music ownership and that type of thing and i mentioned him last time we talked the young man from vallejo uh la russell, russell. Yeah, like, <laughs> you start talking about the concept of this young man is he's laying out the game in a way where it's like this is common sense i'm gonna sell a piece of this song i'm gonna do all this i'm gonna make these videos i'm gonna do all this to generate money and then i'm gonna reinvest it and I'm gonna fix my mama's house up and I'm gonna set up a little concert venue there. Like, I'm gonna do what we gotta do to have long-term wealth. It may look crazy or whatever, but I'm not gonna sign a contract. I'm not gonna put on the chain. I'm just gonna be me in my spot. That's organic, right? Not right. everybody can really be that. Right. And there might come a day 
20, you know, five years, 10 years from now where he's like, I did it that way for 10 years and I actually didn't get as rich as we need to be. So I had to sign it. So whatever. And God bless him. You know, hopefully what he's trying to do pops. But the idea that from the jump, he knew I can put out 20 albums in, in two, three years if I own this piece of equipment or if I if I got this studio hookup. Yeah. And for years, we had cats that was like leaving the house, going out on dangerous tours, doing everything to come back broke yes. for the sake of the... And so it's been ingrained in us to just, just do it for the love instead of like thinking about it from a survival point of view. And so Cat came along and was like, if y'all don't want to sign me, I'll do it because I believe in me. Yes. And he made like in in this interview when he talked it, you could tell in this interview he was uncomfortable about talking about himself a few times. Yeah. Like as much as it's like he can come with all the all the smoke. But when it came down to like the details, you could tell he was careful and he didn't really want to misspeak. Yeah. But like like and the crazy thing is like he didn't even speak ill on Terry Crews, which is an easy target. Yeah. For a lot of people of color to talk about Terry Crews because he's he's he even said some stuff. Yeah, and it was interesting uh, how um, Shay kept bringing up like, well, Terry Crews said you were homeless. Terry Crews said this. I'm thinking like, why are you even having a conversation? He's not conversating with Terry Crews. You know what? That's where you get your your information from. I thought it was kind of funny. It was just consistently bringing up Terry Crews saying this about you, this about that, and I was surprised, like you said, that he didn't snap on Terry because it seemed like, like I said, it was almost like somebody's words being thrown on somebody that wasn't even attending to even be saying that to them. That's where I grew throughout this two hour and 45 minute process. That's why I grew a little bit of respect for for, uh, for Cat because he didn't take certain bait. Yeah. Yeah. He came with the smoke he wanted to come with and he smoked his smoke. You know, now I do keep coming back to a couple of things that I'm like, I can't confirm it, but I, I'm like Cat, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, man, I, I smoke more than Snoop Dogg. I don't know about that, Chief, but I don't know about that. It just seems like a bit of an exaggeration, Cat Williams, that you smoke more. You know, like, because he puts it in one perspective as, this is my medicine. This is healthy. This is normal. I'm not abusing it. And then you say you smoke more than Snoop Dogg. Anybody who can claim that they smoke more than Snoop Dogg is really professing that I got a problem. (laughs) You know, because, you know, the only person that ever smoked more than Snoop was Willie Nelson. And Willie Nelson had to stop smoking. So it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in this space of like, look, man, you can't have it both ways. We can't, like, you put yourself up as this Superman anomaly. So sometimes, like, the you know, certain little things, I'm like, but we're, that's part of the entertainment value, man. Yes. Good com- like, like I told you, I love Ali Sadiq. I listen yeah. to this cat's stand-ups and I'm like, you did all that? Like, all that yeah. happened? Now, granted, I do think all that happened, but yeah. some of that stuff I'll be like, man, maybe some of these are borrowed stories too. To me, these comedians are no different than hip hop artists. I think of Tupac, you know, he's a hypocrite if you listen to all his stuff, but oh, I love definitely. that man. And I, and I believe everything he says, you know, it's foolish to it, but I'll say the way he presents and say, he makes me want to believe. You know, that's why they call you a B to dear mama came from the same guy. And we could all feel those kind of ways. We just, as you know, people in society, we just don't give all of our feelings about everything when we feel them, but can they all be true and all be relevant? Yes. We are so much stuff. And I think comedians and entertainers and rappers and stuff, they all have to deal with that. 
and and so he has to feed the beast but then he also got to be a dad to his 10 kids you know or he got to be a son to his mom but then also be the pimp who don't care about anything for for his comedy stuff same thing with snoop you know he coaches little league football but then you know he you know he's a pimp and a and a, and a game banger and a you know a cookbook writer he, he does a show you know so all this other kind of stuff you know so to me cat is just dealing with the same kind of stuff and, and that's why he probably could convincingly say all that stuff just like tupac could say all that contracting stuff and mean all of it and in a way it all kind of fits if you're thinking of it as a full person versus just a one thing or other. You know, I think like uh, when you hear Cat Williams' story of him adopting kids on the surface level, you would think, yo, that's a lot of kids to adopt. Like, who are you as to do this? And like Shay said, man, you busy. How you do that? But when you go into like some of the details of the stories that he was really just adopting his children, like the first set of kids. To, to our, I remember this story from back then. Now, the additional kids, I don't know about, mm -hmm. but the initial set of kids was just his biological son's siblings. And he didn't want his son's siblings in the foster system. And so he was just making up for the concept that like, I couldn't stop my brothers from being in the system. So now I can stop the my, my son's brothers and sisters yeah. from the system. And so that part I can understand like that because that's common in the community. My sister at one point had adopted like five or six different kids, you know, like so, you know, or fostered them and called them her adopted kids. But, you know, what I'm saying so I understood that he could, you know, with that stuff. But it sounds like see, he, it sounds like Superman on the surface level, you know. But but I don't think he even threw it out like that because it almost seemed oh, like because because he, he, he gave credit saying they still they have parents they have fathers and they have moms it's almost like they need help so they'll be safer in a situation with me you know you know it, it didn't he he surprisingly enough it felt like it was like it's a village thing like i don't do it all myself like he tries to do the stuff that counts because like so what exactly do you do you give them what exactly do you he said well i'm trying to give them morals and not to make the mistakes i made and information and, and share and give more than i was given so that kind of stuff so i was thinking like okay um but for him to kind of say like the parents are still kind of in their lives too. Like I said, it, it was interesting the way he kind of talked about it, but he talked about it the same way when he didn't really want to admit or say exactly that he'd be helping people out. He was very kind of like, you know, like I don't need to tell my blessings, you know what I mean? Like if, you know, did you help blah, blah, blah? Well, I'm not saying that they need my help. They already, then he wanted down the Migos to make them sound bad. like. I never knew them not to, to need anything. They always been successful as far as I've seen them. But if they would need me, that's the, that's something I would do. And I heard that women just be dropping off comedians' money. Well, um, I would just say if and somebody's one, there, and I've heard that one before. Yes. And that, that was an easy research for Shay's team because I think Leslie Jones put it in her book. Mm. Um, Kevin Hart said it happened like Cat did that for him, even though they've had like beef down through the years. Yeah. It's weird because it's the contra contradicting factor that it's like Kevin was like, yo, no, I was in the club. And and I know like uh, Kevin Hart's boys, uh, or Plastic Cup boys, a few yeah. of them have talked about that's something he does. Yeah. You know, he'll sit back, he'll look at your set and he'll send a woman over so that it don't. But it now the stigma's there that everyone knew that if just this random fine woman walks up to you, 
and gives you money it came from cat but people know that now but back then he used to you know that was his his slick helping people out um and it's part of the kevin hart tried to steal like which i kind of stole the same vibe but then told people you know he was like yeah you know i saw tiffany was struggling she did a good set so I, I walked up on her and said, what's going on, Tiffany? And she said she was living in her car. So I, I gave her $500. You know, I didn't have $500 at the time to give. Right. Went home to my wife and she needed the money. And blah. So he implements the, even this whole thing of comedians take care of comedians. Yeah. Let me ask you this question about Kat. That it's heavily dis- like he. So Shannon asked this question about mental health around mental, around Kanye West and mental health kind of comes into his response. Yeah. Now I'm asking this question about cat, not necessarily about the response to Kanye, which was hilarious that he says, well, he married a whore. And so it's sort of like for him to kind of like, call, you know, call that out was crazy. Like they said, fat meets greasy. So yeah. No, I think when he talks like this, it is if you've ever experienced or had a person in your family or around you or even yourself, you know, if you've been in a manic state or a particular state uh, where in which you can be a little bit unhinged. Okay. Sometimes Kat has had these issues and I think people, it's a tiptoe around it kind of thing. But like when he was wrestling with the boy in the park and the boy kind of choked him out times where he's been the 30 different times he's been arrested he wasn't sitting on normal yeah so he claims he was and he's like all these things was lies this that another a lot of that stuff was dropped because it's the same way it would be dropped for any other drunk tank charge mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like yo you was acting up you apologize let's move on yeah the some of those other charges were someone really was stealing from him and he said it and it got proven right yeah but there is but we're not crazy though, right? We've seen this erratic behavior and he's telling us, no, nah, that didn't happen. But we see this stuff. Even the even the interview with, with Shay, with Shannon, is it borderlines this like, yo, dude is wild. Like, so do you think when you look at him, do you think he's got all his faculties? Do you think everything's straight there? Or like not not saying that it's our business to talk about someone's mental health but does he get off that vibe that like he really like is it that he just don't care and he's on a whole nother level and it comes across that way or do you just not get that vibe from him at all uh i think he's different i think he's highly intelligent i think he's i think he's different i think if you play you know hood games you get hood prizes that's a good Uh, because because really he's not because he might be seeing it like okay public drunkenness me you know picking a fight and then losing to a, to a kid like that would be in a movie that seemed like a movie thing more so than it would be an actual really real life something happening or the crap in target and stuff like this is no major crimes or anything happening so even though they're kind of crazy and different i think he's talking about big picture when people are thinking like he's going to prison for like he's not he's not hurting anybody he's not you know so to him, it's like, if I'm getting out and it's like this no big deal kind of thing and I'm just gonna write a ticket for it, then don't try to make it like as equivalent, like me having 30 speeding tickets is the same as me shooting somebody. And so I kind of take his kind of brush off of it as there's no big deal as the, you know, 
the temperature of what he's doing and getting in trouble for. Like he can in trouble for stuff like a teenager would get in trouble for, like kid stuff. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't, it wouldn't go that far. You just had to sleep it off over the weekend or something. It's, it's almost like, you know, owing money for tickets or something. And it's not like these high crimes, the way people talk about it. You would think, you know, like the whole thing with um, him acting like it's no big deal because he don't do no hard drugs because they're saying he's doing hard drugs. So to him, he could be offensive because it's like, I know I don't do hard drugs. I know I drink or I smoke weed. And so to me, it's no big deal. It's not like these folks would be doing heroin and all this, if you're going to be talking. But so so him dismissing it is not saying probably that he's not doing stuff. It's just the fact that you're like that, like that Wanda chick. She made jail into prison. You know, him smoking weed became like almost like heroin or, or crack. And so for him to be like, well, I'm not doing crack. I'm just smoking a little weed. I'm not shooting at the block. You know, I was, you know, <laughs> drunk fighting with a kid in his yard. I got choked out. So, so it's almost kind of like, he's kind of like, kind of like un stepping down from what's being presented. And, and it almost seems like it's dismissive and it's, it's kind of not, but it's not what they're saying it is either. Like, come on, let's, let's bring it to a more realistic line. And his feelings about, what he, you know, like Kanye and all that, which you had brought up before. I, I think that the way he said it was fair. He didn't say Kanye was anything wrong from necessarily, but he's saying if you feel or you're saying, or if people are saying, because he didn't say Kanye said it, but if people are saying this about this person, wouldn't you give them some kind of leeway? Wouldn't you give them some kind of understanding more so than just judging them? And I think that's a fair thing to say. And he probably would want the same thing for himself if he's going through the same thing as well. So I thought that was easy because he, you know, he had no problem saying names for sure. That's all he did was say names, to be honest. And so for him not to um, call out Kanye like that, and he even made the joke. He's like, he's the guy to start off in the beginning wearing a pink sweater. So, you know, come on, come on now. I thought it was fair. You feel like he recognizes that he's different too. Like, you know, how you were saying like Kat's a different kind of guy. Yeah. He recognized Kanye's different. But if yeah. he is sick, why are we watching him be sick in front of us like this? Right. And yeah. not only that, but like, just like, why have that kind of judgment when you grade on the curve? If you knew somebody was this or were lacking in that, would you judge them the same way? And that's true. It's true. But it's also what he's talking about, too. You told somebody that you that you saying is sick and, and, and have issues, but also you tell them that, you know, that they're just genius and and they're superior and all this other kind of stuff and he called himself Jesus, then you know you kind of made the monster that you have and then you're gonna blame him for feeling that way like a lot of that stuff was co-signed if it's true or not you know so yeah so it's, it's just like we he just kind of told the truth about the fact that you know which most people and which society does is they swing and hit you and when you're ready to swing back they put their hands behind their back and act like why are you upset one of the things I wanted to ask you about, too, from it is the more salacious, like funnier parts to some extent, but it can be weird to get into this conversation. He said he's when he talked about having to turn down the 50 million multiple times, he said, because did he want to play? But you got to tell him no. Like. How, and then he alluded to like the thing with Ludacris and he was like, they said one of us going to have to cut off our chops and do all this other, you know, like and do you think do you think that like illuminati and all these secret society and all this do you think some of that stuff is real yeah 
I do. And I don't know if I always did, but but I, I do. I do. Um, what goes for one side goes for the other, right? <laughs> Everything has balance, right? So if you're good, you're good opposed to what, right? If it's all bad, all the badness is opposed to what? It's always another side to, to everything. And it was just enough stuff that you hear or kind of see and patterns and stuff that you see. I remember, and I'm not even a big fan of Ludacris like that, but I remember when he cut his cut his hair and stuff, I thought that was weird. You know, he's that was his iconic thing. And when he's doing the biggest things going on with the movies and stuff, why would that be the time where you would change that thing? That's usually when people lean into something. They may have never had anything before, but they, they get the thing that brands them, they really stick to it, you know, like Carrot Top. He would never cut that crazy looking hair. You know, like Steve, he would always wear those suits. Everybody got their their thing. So I thought it was kind of interesting when he's at the height of his thing, that's when that stuff would kind of come up. And that's just me as a person who just look at stuff. I, I'm very aware of visual stuff. So when stuff changes, it's like, oh, you shaved or oh, they changed the hair color. Or I know it's all that kind of stuff. So I remember that and not that I'll be the only one to notice somebody like Ludacris who had that big old Afro just being gone like that. Um, but it was kind of a thing like the timing and like, oh, that's interesting. So to even hear that story, it's just like, huh, that's, um, you know, and then the thing with, with Puffy, then we, we've heard of people up until recently talking about, you know, Diddy giving calls, like wanting to hang out and party and stuff. And even him saying to himself, like wanting to party with Fabulous. And he's like, we did party. But I want to, you know, party party. Just me and you, this party party, go shopping. You know, so it's just all this, all this stuff. It's just like, <sighs> like he yeah. ain't saying nothing he wasn't saying before. Like, like, you know, it's just kind of, it's interesting. Cause all the stuff for the most part that Kat is saying he's done said before, he's just probably using more names and and the stories that we're seeing and hearing is lined up with what he's saying now so if anything he's reiterating what's been said or brought up and now we have names to go with the faces which is which is interesting and like i said the drop mic which you brought up before was all the wives looking the same you know let me ask you about that though man do you think that that's in part of colorism in the black man's you know like um the way black men kind of uh, use colorism as the these marks of success um you know your typical you know the snow jay simpson syndrome things you know or trying to get close to it um you know like is that a thing that's just ingrained within like within certain people within the community as markers of success or do you think that that's really part of like the industry implant kit that it's like go get you a light skinned wife and, and let's see, because it does seem to be well thing going on there. Well, if any job or position, say like you're a football player, you're gonna always have a helmet, you're gonna have cleats, and you're gonna have uh um uh, uh like pads, right? I, I thought you was gonna say a white girl, but go ahead. Oh, never mind. My bad. Keep going. Yeah, hey, I'm gonna click this part of it. My bad. <laughs> I, li- I really thought that's where you was going. That too, but <laughs> that that too, but but you know, but you dress for the for the job that you're doing, and so <laughs> really, the truth be told, if if a lot of these guys are are you know gay and not saying it, it wouldn't matter, you know, what they look like, but it had to be the perception of it. So even if they was into those, you know, ambiguous looking wives that they have, be it a beard or be it they really just like those chicks i think it wouldn't matter it, i think it would be like an arranged thing 
You know, there's only so much control you would have over over the cleats you wear. They have to be Nike, right? There's only so many helmets you could wear, right? So, so when you are suited and booted for the job at hand, you kind of get what they give you. And it's for the perception of it. It's a reason why the faces aren't shown on the football players. It's partly for protection, but it's also to keep them homogenized. You know, it's, it's not like the basketball players that you could root for a person. You know, you're rooting for the team with football because the way it's closed off. You see numbers, you see helmets, you don't see the faces, you don't see the, you know, the colored hair or whatever like basketball. So everything has a reason for the way it's set up. And, and so, if the kid comes with, you know, a particular style wife and a style home in a particular place with a certain kind of car and a, you know, a certain kind of entourage and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's what goes with it. And does everybody taste have to be that? No, but that comes with it. You wear are those cleats uncomfortable? Yes, but you're going to wear them while you're on the field. As long as you're on this field. You know, the crazy thing about what you're saying is these are people's lives. Like you get what I'm saying? Like, Job's a job. They have <laughs> This is who they have to come home with. This is who they have to have kids with. This, this and is yet and still, of- they find time to have have all these other stuff that we find out people are doing on the side, right? It doesn't slow down that life. Their, that life is for pictures, right? That life is for pictures. Their lives on the road. Their lives are in different countries filming. Their lives are, you know, touring. Their lives ain't there. What's so crazy about this concept is that. I could understand why this existed for so long in certain facets, but that type of lifestyle and that type of thing won't even be necessary at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like the more a society gets accepting of something. I know. And so it's sort of like, no telling what the next underground thing can be or whatever, whatever we push and and ostracize it and make it an underground thing. But I think for me, I, I just, it's just an odd, it's an odd thing. Yes. So like, put it in that perspective, if all those people got other things, that's their preference and it's going, what's going on with them, then what's for the cameras is different. Yeah. I, I, but the humane part of me, the part that empathizes with humanity in each of us is that I would never want a child or anyone to exist in this world based off of the necessity of narcissism, like the necessity of me becoming successful that you must exist. You only exist not because I love your mother, not because you're the product of love, because you're the product of the product. That's that that the value on that human life is just we is get so- that end result all the time anyway. That that's that's where we're at now. That's where we're at now. You feel like we get that? I think that's what it is right now for the most part. Huh? How many kids are products of a one-night stand and not a relationship? So that's the product of of that person's individual, like, undisciplined passions or whatnot, right? Regardless, it's the... To be intentionally like, I don't love this person, don't really have a connection, but I'm going to have a child with this person. There's a difference between undisciplined the undisciplined nature of of someone not having a disciplined sexuality and it results in having a child and a person intentionally having a child not to love them 
but having a child because it's going to profit them. To me, it's that no different than having a job that you don't like and you being stuck there and spending most of your time there at a job that you do not love and they do not love you, but you have an arrangement. So you sit there for eight hours going through whatever you're going through and you get that money and you complain and you come back and you do it again the next day. Big difference in that is you hate that job, right? And you go through the motions, but you don't create another job. Like you don't bring other people into it. You don't become the trainer. When you hate your job, you just hate it unless they make you train. You know what I'm saying? But you don't, but to bring another life into it, just so that you can be rich and famous, you have a certain look or so you can get this office or whatever it is you're achieving. Like to bring a child in this world, not just because you have a desire to nurture and love that child is a horrific thing. I'm not saying they are not. I just right. feel like having a kid act, you know, accidentally is totally different than intentionally having a child with someone you know 100% like I'm doing this act is just to further my career. People do stuff like that for money. People will kill people for money and success. So how hard would it be to bring a life in if it still means to that's almost like do people have more kids to get more benefits? That's that's a Republican. No, no, no. no, 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 I'm just no, no. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I get it. I mean, some people do. I'm, I'm not I'm Republican. Not no, no, no. But, 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 but I'm not. I, I know you had to do that disclaimer. I was not in. No, 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 I know, I know, no, no, no. But I understand. But, but that's the welfare clean queen trope that that the that the Reagan administration oh, used. Oh, oh, and I'm saying, and I'm saying this for for black and white or whoever, because we know who's mainly on wealth. We can't be 13 percent and the highest ones on it. You know, you can't be both. When you are moving for things like money and power and success, stuff like that, then yeah, I think people disregard all rationality or what's right or morals or anything. And if people are killing for that kind of stuff, people are probably bringing people into this life, into this world for the same reason. Yes, people do anything for money, anything for money. And it's unfortunate, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, that might be why society is where it is as we're old men, shaking our you know our fist at the cloud or whatnot yeah like that's probably why we are where we are this is why people can have this argument of like oh sexy red's music is this that another sexy red's trying to get a dollar but but the reason why you even know that you know like for the most part people are not thinking of it like you know bringing the love bringing a new entity into this world and all this kind of stuff we got senators are saying that you know we need to have more kids so we could have a workforce are you thinking they care about who finding their true love and having a baby and the, oh, yeah. the, that whole mind frame of, of children being a product, you know, from slave times, you think they cared if somebody's in love with somebody? No, you're going to have well, me I a baby. Say, I didn't to make say a... it was new. Well, you know, I'm not saying it's new. No, 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 no. I'm but just saying. I, I am saying it's evil. It is. Yeah. Evil. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we're not like, disagreeing on so, that. <laughs> yeah. So like the idea that like, if you're looking at on this list of people and they're like, you have like to be all these things being like i'm gonna give you this movie contract but you need to create this image and and from this image you need to do this this and this and then you go out and you create that image and part of that image is then lending your life force to this well like you're putting out there someone that part is like it's never worth it when you think about the precious commodity of life but, and the ability you have to play in the role of bringing life yeah. for people to not have a, like to be to 
And I think the one thing that, that creates that pressure is still the system, is still systematic racism within itself, where you take a bunch of black men who ain't never had nothing, you say, I'm gonna give you something, right. but you gotta then breed for me, just the same way your great, 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 great grandfather had to breed. And just the same way, you know, like, and if it goes right back to, why would you wrap yourself back up into slave chains when they're clearly not even saying, here's a, here's a necktie, could you please hang yourself? They're just giving you the noose and yeah. you're glad yourself up. Yeah. That, but when you do that, that's what makes so many of us take a Cat Williams calling out these people and say, you know what, man, for what it's worth, you may not like the way Cat did it, but I don't put, I guess I don't really put Cat in those categories. I didn't like him putting on the pimp suit, but since the pimp suit, he seems to be on that path of just being the best man he could be. But he had to get in the door the way good. And broken people do broken moves. So I don't I don't expect like like I said, it's like I was expecting the baby to do your taxes. Like I you know, it's only so much you're gonna expect from a messed up situation. But yeah, I think it's unfortunate. I think that that's why a lot of the people like the musicians and actors and all that kinds of comedians and stuff. That's why they'd be falling apart. I think like what Dave Chappelle said years ago in an interview where you're seeing how people falling apart like Martin Lawrence and Mariah Carey, like they're not weak people. They had to be strong to get where they were, but they're, you know, it's something that's going on that's just, just, just breaking these strong people, you know? Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why you see a Cat Williams and a Dave Chappelle consistently give a head nod to each other. Yeah. And show each other love because they get something that the other people aren't fully getting. And I think that does come from being like allowing life to break you in different ways. Yeah. I think Dave's hang up on understanding that there is no such thing as freedom of speech has probably been the biggest heartbreak of his life that he's never been able to get over. And he champions trying to create that over and over. You can see it in his act. You can see it in like just the whole resistance of hey, I can't say the F word, but I can say the N word, you know, conversation he's had with Comedy Central. I see that as part of Dave's story, not the totality of it. But I will say that's what's currently being under fire is censorship in a big way. And it's almost kind of like if the alarm doesn't go off, some people question the smoke, right? They don't know if it's really a fire. So if the alarm is going off, that's letting you know. So I take him as being an alarm as far as, like, it's not just for him to say it, but it's just kind of like really, it's hitting everything and we know it because the laws are changing and different things or, or or laws are being extended or the way things are being used against us you know that we're signing up for so the whole censorship thing you know it even happens with our updates with our social media that we don't know nothing about until we just figured everybody just stopped viewing our content all of a sudden no they changed you know they shutting down stuff that they deem to be like not true but then they'll have somebody being racist on there and leave it on there and they never get pulled so it's all happening around us. So when stuff like that is brought up, and it's funny because I was talking to my friend, we're talking about how Taraji P. Hansen kind of came up talking about the pay disparity. And we know like that's been happening with the pay, the pay wasn't right. And how it came out with Viola and all this other kind of stuff and how it isn't new that she's bringing it up. And I was like, yeah, it's not new, but then also if it's still a problem, there's nothing wrong with it keep being brought up. I don't care who's waving a flag. I just want somebody who's trying to warn us. It don't have to be the original person who saw the problem. It should be a baton that's going to get passed to the next person and the next person and the next person until we're all safe and we can put that flag down. So yeah. if somebody's waving that flag saying, hey, 
we got our problem. We got our problem. I don't care if it's the first or the 50th. You keep that flag up, whoever it is. And I'm glad that people are pointing out like, hey, he has a flag. I'll take that until the problem is resolved. Otherwise, we'll sit there and wonder if the smoke was coming from from where? Oh, it's coming from your behind. You are on fire. The situation is on fire. Sound like one of them diddy parties. But I, I like that Kat actually talked about <laughs> Kat talked okay. about that too. Kat actually talked about saying like we got to do better, you know, yeah. because it is that Taraji has to she should be able to hold herself and conduct herself like everyone else has but she had to reduce in order to which it's that's one of the things where it's like the beautiful thing about the black woman is that no matter what she's going to take care of the babies she's going to take care of her community and we're nowhere without the black woman within like we're not in any existence without the concept of they know how to come back and take care of the generation that's coming next and to take care of us as men and uh that's what she's doing and i think part of it is and this is when the part where i'm with cat and anybody else who would be in agreement is that like we as black men have to do what we have to do in order to support her as if even if that means that like hey do we need to start showing up to these movie companies and demanding and protesting and saying we're not gonna black men we're not gonna watch another black panther movie if you're not paying you know uh the person who plays shuri and all these other like you're not paying them on the same scale as you're paying their their counterparts you won't have our support the blurs won't talk about it we won't buy the comics we won't even write them or read them like if we start standing together and saying you got to pay our women what they're worth, then our community rises because we'll always, you know, we're always blessed through, through the work and the hands of our women. And I, I, I always go back to like certain little small biblical standards and stuff. And that's a Proverbs 31 thing right there. So I just honestly believe that that's what we got to do, man. Like, I don't, it'll be uncomfortable for a while, but we got to do what we got to do to make sure that these women are being paid because I went to go see color purple and that movie's not the movie without Taraji. It's just not what it is. Um, you have a smirk right now. They can't see it because this is an audio podcast. So apparently you've got a problem with black women because you don't like the color purple. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes Jay just lets me talk, yeah, and I just say so. <laughs> Just to be saying, he yeah. knows I'm just the no, I understand what you're saying, and yeah, I'm not planning on seeing that that movie, but I do appreciate what Cat said, and I was surprised he he is so empathetic and kind of insightful and um, aware of what his responses are for certain kind of things. That's why I know when he says crazy stuff, he means that too, because some stuff I really thought he was gonna be sideways. I heard so much stuff about Taraji is talking about like when she did her own movie, it wasn't popular, it wasn't that good and all this stuff. And for him to not even put it on her and be like, yeah, it's real. That is an issue. I thought it was beautiful because he could have been like, well, make your own, which isn't a wrong answer either. But he spoke to her situation, not his from the outside looking at her, but hers and how she must feel and feel trapped with what she's dealing with and having to take that burden, right? versus the pull yourself up kind of stuff. And so I appreciate that he did that. But then the other part of that too, is that 
we got to start doing for ourselves too because really we can't expect and we've seen now that if we don't do it for ourselves it won't happen you know what i mean otherwise we're going to get things where they'll give a gimme like black panther and it'll do well and then it'll just go back to business as usual and so that just goes to show that we are not a priority and we have to be our own priority and so if it's supporting anything it'd be like supporting somebody doing their stuff more independent or something like that or some of these folks who got money putting their stuff together and doing it that way because anything outside of that we are still we're not bypassing the third party we we're not we're still in the same loop you know to tyler perry's credit that is and we we have to put too we are putting too much pressure on him i can agree with that he got brought but, up yeah he did and but I, I I definitely feel like one thing about Tyler Perry is that he was the first one to pay Taraji over ten thousand dollars. Like he paid her five hundred thousand. Uh, he was the first to pay Cicely Tyson a million dollars. You know, so like he's taking his wealth and he's distributing it in the same fashion that you could even almost accuse Cat with. You know, like the Melville Williams like Walk of Fame sponsorship. You know, all those type of things are real. Right. And I can't give credit to that. Tyler Perry got brought up in this thing multiple, like a couple of different times. All right. So what did you think about what Kat said about Tyler Perry as far as like not really paying it forward? Like he having all these people working for him, but you couldn't, if you bump into him in the grocery store, you wouldn't know who none of those people were at all. Like nobody's basically that works with him as famous or could do on their own. I think. The track history shows that that's not necessarily true. When the talent is there, it rises. We know Tika Sumpner. We know he gives New Jacks a chance. He gives a, especially Atlanta-based New Jacks, you know, that ain't in Hollywood. He gives them a chance and they be around. And then some of them in the cream, the cream of the crop kind of thing, like they rise. The ones that are stars rise. Now they don't got, they probably are, they're not independently wealthy in a way that changes their lives, but they're probably going to get more than if they was in Hollywood as bit actors. I, I so think I think Kat was speaking more behind the scenes. That's why I, I was kind of assuming he was speaking to because we are we know that the actors that because Taraji is a person that worked with, with him. Yes. So I thought he was speaking more like behind the scenes. Like you remember he, he was saying before, like you, you would appreciate if he would kind of like pass it to women, more women writers and more directors instead, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I think Kat was kind of speaking to that. And, so and you know, I, I wish he would have said it more clear because on the surface level, mm -hmm. It's like, it's not, you know, he's not wrong also. Like, even if you kept it on the surface level when you were talking about pay. Yes. You know, there's a reason that Tyler Perry has this formula of stick. Like, it, it pays for him to stick with the new people. It's not just because he believes so much in the new the new cats. Right. Like, he really is just cheaper to say, all right, Taraji, you didn't hit this 500,000 mark. I got to go ahead and get Tika. Now, Tika Sumner, you didn't reach this point. Okay. You got to finish up your contract and we probably gonna have to work together again finish up your half and have nots contract and go make real money somewhere else like i do think that that's kind of there's some people who stay on certain levels mm -hmm. and you know but i think that could he do better in different areas yeah uh probably because i think we've talked about this when we talked about tyler perry is that the absolute control that he has over it is so narcissistic that it's it's painful to see that he feels is that it's like yo you but he also he has a brand and he's wearing it out he's getting it while he's getting it's good 
And um, he's not the first one to do this. And like I said, it might be a deep dive for me to say this, but Oscar Michaud, same thing. He made the movies he wanted to make when he was the only black filmmaker, uh, so to speak, and had the formula. There were a right. few other people, black people making films at the time, but he was the only one who was consistently had a studio and was consistently getting his black film. And this is the silent film era, you know what I'm saying? And he was there at the beginning of the sound, you know, era as well, heavy. But he was the, this black man did it before that way. People didn't like the way Stephen Fetchett did it. You know, the way he, cause he, he's a, people use him as a blight, like they talk to him as a blight on the black community, right. but we wouldn't have black Hollywood without his contribution, not just because of what he did, but like the things he did with the wealth that he obtained. He went and did some ugly things, but then he came back and made sure that he started things and he funded people's movies and he gave us what he could from from it from it same thing with amos and andy they were the only ones putting people black people on tv and then the naacp said you got to go away now i repeat i've said that before in other episodes but what i'm getting at is no black we and this is the whole thing that we come across now in this era of truth that we're going to kind of like go into in this 2024 season yeah because we've been so desperate for a hero that I think that our savior complex is going to put us in a situation where I believe, and this is just from my own belief system, that you're a true God is a jet light, is a God that's going to be like, yo, when we're praising celebrity culture and we're looking at these people a certain way, I believe that God will, will allow the truth to be revealed so that you can see the true living God like so that you can actually see what's real and so i'm not even putting a cap on that and saying like jesus or anything like that i'm saying yeah. like for all of us because it ain't just christians who got a problem with idolization of these celebrities it's uh it's also other religious uh people from other religions i can't speak on because i'm not a part of those yeah. but you get what i'm saying it's the yeah. human nature and i do believe that those things to be exposed because we're just humans and it, it comes a point in a season and a time in each of our lives where we need to really realize that like these people are just like us and um, man I tell you what this interview for me my last kind of take on some of the stuff from my point of view is that it's refreshing and entertaining and it's okay to just be entertained I didn't love any of these people enough where I'm shocked. Yeah. And I I can understand the respect that I could see the cat. Like even when they talked about Prince. Well, who don't love Prince, right? Yeah. And he talked his relationship. He didn't try to oversell it too much. No. It was almost like I'd rather keep this in my back pocket. Yeah. Because you say the wrong thing, people love Prince. Nobody care about no Steve Hart. Don't nobody really know Steve Harvey's like like that. You see what I'm saying? So you can talk about busting Cedric the Entertainer in the stomach. You can talk about Michael Blackston and, and Donald Fa or, or Faison Love. Faison really caught the hardest face. He called him a fat Faison lie. Like the he creating new sayings and stuff. And I knew Faison did stand up in the 80s and stuff, and they could have their beefs or whatever for whatever reasons. But point I'm getting at it is, man, these these cats. They gonna have a little competition. This brings some highlights to the, you know, got people thinking and talking about it, but I really hope something positive comes from this because often 
like I pointed out, 5.8 million at, at just this morning. So I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure it's already at 8 million or something like that. Who getting all that money? It ain't gonna be Shannon. You know, it ain't gonna be Cat. Right. It got two hours, it got us to watch it for two hours and 45 minutes. Wow, we can't even sit in. Uh, we if your sermon go over thirty minutes, you leaving church with an attitude. He long winded. We watch Cat for two hours and forty five minutes. But, it's weird, man. But just imagine if it was on a black platform. I'm just glad, like you know what? Because most people in this situation, they would have went on Vlad. So at least I'm glad they went on this show. But I even wish that it was on a show that was on a black owned network. Because this could have been a thing that would give them the funding to, you know. It could have been on fan base if he would have worked their system out so they could have more money to fund to upgrade their, you know, all that stuff. But it's interesting, man. I guess one of the last topics that we hit on before we head out, <laughs> his comment about Jonathan Majors and not just his situation of his recent yeah. court but situation, the, yeah. but the sell of the image of certain black men. And I don't think he was yeah. trying to be messy, but man, it was so true in a way like <laughs> To me, I didn't take it as a dig to Jonathan Majors, even though it kind of was a dig, but it was almost like he was, it wasn't about him. It was about the situation of how things are presented and set up and what this means if they give you that and how you never, when he made the comment talking about, like by the time you get through a few, you won't even be able to read a comic book. <laughs> I think it's not taking everything away from you. It was just like, but it's true. If they make you, they own you, they can take you out. It's like, you know, like the joke, you know, that mom saying talk, or dad talking about, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. It's literally that. The build up and all that kind of stuff, talking about like, he's not the traditional good looking guy that Hollywood normally accepts and all this other kind of stuff. And it's been presented and even tried around for a few years and they're making him into the most sexy man and all this other kind of stuff. And then, you know, and then he falls into this situation. And even the thing with his woman being white and he's talking about like, I don't have anything about white women, but, do, am I afraid of white women? Like, yeah, like I know what that means to have that situation. And so he's not saying things are wrong, but he's also kind of saying, I'm aware of the situation and I'm gonna move accordingly because of the situation. But I'm not hating anything. I'm acknowledging the game board that I'm on and I'm acknowledging the rules to that game and I will apply to them because I don't want the problems that could come from losing that game. No, I 100% when he said it, I've, I've been feeling that way too. And I'd actually discussed that uh, with a close friend too, where, you know, she was a huge fan of him and then became instantly not a fan. So he went from being one of the sexiest men in the world to her to then not being that anymore. But two major reasons. One, the woman who was accusing him. So that was instantly like a turnoff for her. Yep. And then two, it was that he could be guilty of the accusations yeah so it was a persona that she became attracted to and so just as easily as they made that persona mm -hmm. putting him in uh remember there was the whole issue of when creed's promotional uh thing that was like they got him hugging another man and he's he's dressed kind of ambiguous you know like so all these different things were were part of the image that they were creating for him and then once they were done with them, it was like, all right, you know, you're back to being ordinary, for lack of a better term, ordinary. And so it's like, we'll see what happens from that. But it's funny because 
for what it's worth as a person who's followed like Megan Good's story, right? A little bit. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, like, I feel like she's one of those people who was married to Hollywood for so long and had been, she was, matter of fact, she was in the first Friday. Um, she was the little girl on the ice cream truck on Friday. So, mm-hmm. like, as a person who's been around it, was married to a Hollywood executive all those years, who was who's fitting those images and everything, I don't think it was the image or the persona. I think there might be some legitimacy to, like, her being with someone like that. You know, like... Yeah. You know, like there's something about him as a black man in need. And this goes to the point I was making earlier about the appreciation of the black woman. She seems to always be there when she's needed, even if we're not worthy of her presence. I will say, even though Kat, the way he summed it up was kind of funny and and it's almost like they made you, you know, to me and for uh, I'm sure for a lot of folks, he earned his place for me. That's why when the stuff came up, it didn't phase how I felt about him. I liked him in Last Black Man in San Francisco and the other movies that he did. I think he was the best part of the Ant-Man. I thought he made a good Kang, the Conqueror. So to me, I just liked his, I liked him in Creed. So I liked him, I liked his acting. I thought, you know, he looked different, he's a different looking guy, but his acting was impeccable. And so for that, I appreciate him. So when stuff started kind of like being questioned and coming up, it didn't change how I felt about him because to me, he kind of earned his place. And so, like I said, so people who genuinely liked him, you know, that's almost like people with musicians and stuff. Some people, you know, like the pop song. That's the reason why they like the artist, but don't like nothing else they do. I remember going to a Prince concert and he was on his um, Emancipation album, a three album CD. And I was sitting next to somebody who's waiting for him to do the song Purple Rain. I'm like, sweetie, he might not do Purple Rain. Purple Rain was so long ago since this, and he got three albums worth of music that he might be doing tonight. You'd be lucky if you get like a little melody with Purple Rain in it. And so some people will go there to that concert, don't hear Purple Rain and think that Prince is awful versus the people who he earned his place with. And he could, you know, <laughs> like this movie was saying, like this joke in the movie, somehow, they'll buy it if he's farting on a snare drum. Like he could have been sitting there farting on a snare drum and people would love what he's doing. So some people just love because he earned their place with him and others, you know, they just like him for the one hit. And if he don't do that hit, they don't like him. So it's just how fan bases go, you know, but you always, if you, like Kat said, going the slow way and earning it, it's not as easily taken down. They'll give you credit where other people that they were built up in a certain kind of way, you wouldn't give them the credit because you didn't earn it with them. So it's kind of like, well, I took the long road, but when I go to jail, do they cancel me? No. He said, I just make sure I don't do anything that's gonna hurt them where they'll have to I have to go back and cause he know I'm gonna come back and see him and I'll have to explain myself. So even so he's saying he has to be accountable to his fan base is a beautiful thing. Or the way he pays tithes, you know, a certain amount of money, then he'll give a certain money to the to the homeless folks there. So he's into this paying it forward kind of thing. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing that goes a long way. And that's almost the magic that's behind the scenes that we don't see. But it makes sense where he is. And we would think, oh, it's just magic and it just happened. And no, he's working it. He's he's working it in a way um behind the scenes that we don't see so we're seeing the end results thinking it's just like a neat trick versus he's putting work and and heart and drive and all this other kind of stuff behind it behind it we're just seeing the end results and he's not bragging saying well the way i did this trick is the way i pulled that off is he's not saying that part he ain't saying he's trying to be a good person that he's doing all these kind of stuff he's paying towards you know 
paying towards his blessings in a different kind of way. We're not seeing the deposits, you know? And so when certain things doesn't move him like it does other people, we're like, how's he still here? Well, maybe he built with a solid foundation. Yeah, I agree. I think I like that he's an independent thinker and that's the main takeaway like that he confirmed for me. I knew he had had like somewhat of a religious background and you do see that out of a lot of people. That's one of the things he had in common with Prince, even though he wasn't actively, he's not actively a Jehovah Witness. That was part of Prince's background. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I enjoyed it. This interview in itself was brilliant in the sense that it's like he got a special off without having to go through having a special off. And he, this is another one of those weird stats that he'll be on his next interview and he'd be like, Shannon Sharp has never had anyone you know, like get 5.8 million views in just six hours or something like it'll be something of that nature. And it's, and true. <laughs> it's true. And so he's an extraordinary man. Like it's so easy for us in society to believe that others can be extraordinary. We can believe whatever we want to believe about Tom Brady and all the other people. But sometimes maybe we got maybe we got someone walking within us that looks like us that it really is just as great as we know we are. And maybe Kat's one of those greats. I guess my last thoughts on this conversation, I thought it was a lot going on with this. I think Shannon did a decent job trying to hold the reins of the force, which is Kat. And so it was interesting how you see the times where you see Kat kind of wait for Shannon to catch up and the way he maneuvered with some of the questioning and stuff, not avoiding, but his answers and the way he answered and just the flow of the thing. It was funny. It was entertaining. It was insightful. I think everything he said was literal. No, but I think it was a lot of truth in it. Yes. And I think he was just kind of like coming with the receipts. It was a lot more in there than I thought. And like I said, after the first 15 minutes, I could tell it was going to be a problem for some folks because he was just doing this truth telling thing, but it wasn't vague in any way. It was a lot of names and places and stuff which i thought was very refreshing interesting kind of cringy in a way but it's kind of like huh, okay and so i think it was like for people even if you're not necessarily a fan of his just the insight just to kind of hear and it, and even though he did say a lot of stuff about a lot of people i didn't take it as being bitter or or hater or anything like that i just kind of took it as being his perspective and with that you take it with a grain of salt either way but it was entertaining. Did it keep my attention for for that long? Yes, it did. Did it have me going back? Did it have me questioning or wondering what people thoughts was going to be on it or the people he was referring to, their responses and stuff? It was a sight to see. And it was just very interesting to see what people said in response and what they didn't say. It was a lot. So it definitely stirred the pot to start the new year in an unexpected way. Drew, I appreciate you for sending it my way <laughs> because I sure would have been way not knowing it's something about hitting something when it's going versus like a week later when all the energy is gone i have my alerts on on youtube to keep me informed so if something comes up i'm going to be on it just to see what's going to come up next of all this and um and i guess we have our little part in it too as far as our our taking and perspective which was which was fun and i always enjoy our conversation about this topical stuff makes for a fun fun conversation Definitely, man. I appreciate you for having me on, man. I, I don't know what our next conversation will be, but it'll be good, man. It won't. I don't know if it'll be multiple parts like this one, but it probably will. I'm not going to lie. It probably will. Probably. <laughs> we got something going. We, we're making it. We're making it as we go. Yeah. Yeah. But I appreciate your time, man. Well, I like to say I appreciate you. Thank you for a wonderful year. 
I'm glad to be starting off this new year with us doing what we do. And I look forward to this, to the upcoming year. So that was Jay and Drew. Until next time, peace. All right, peace. But you talking about working a crowd. I'm talking about like making people like leave the audience was Paul Mooney. He would come out to the Bay Area every December and do a show and he would um, donate all his money to to the Black Repertory Theater. And he was just so funny. He would just run folks out of that place. It was just like, matter of fact, I didn't know he was even known for that, but it was funny to see it happen. And it was like, when I was leaving out, because it was like having a show that was coming on after we had left. And he was like, did they get him? Did they get him? Like the audience was just excited for him just roasting people and making them to the point where they would just leave the theater. And it was just like, I have never seen anything like it, but I really appreciated his stand-up a, a lot and his, and his the way he kind of worked the crowd and he just like throw up a topic and let's talk about it and he just kind of way of bringing people in. Let me ask you a question, man. It's, uh -oh. And this is somewhat somewhat Paul Mooney related, right? Okay. <laughs> somewhat. Is this underlined homophobia or transphobia or is this a conspiracy theory from white Hollywood that black men are asked to put on a dress this whole thing so i've heard brandon t jackson was the yeah. one of the first people who remember he kind of lost that people said he kind of lost his mind there he became yeah. uh, ultra religious for a while there and he said his life was good until he put on that dress for martin and then he felt like god punished him for putting on that dress and he's went on the deep end people talked about the putting on the dress thing uh, I want to say it was Dick Gregory was maybe one of the first people who didn't even go deep into it. Yeah. But like people have said it for years that like white America is interested in making and demasculating the black man. So they put the dress on. I always feel like that's one of those in my mind. I feel like there could be some validity to it. Right. You're right. But then I also feel like sometimes some controversies are handcrafted within the community. And I don't know if it's just to further a homophobic and transphobic uh, you know, way of you know of thinking. Just putting and so Ricky Smiley in his response today was like, "Yeah, I did a character, and I did it for the sake of funniness. That don't make me less or more of a man." So, what's your thoughts about that? Leave it to you. <laughs> Leave it to you to ask these questions. I'm gonna say it the best way I can. Do I think that there's less obvious ways to demasculate men? Yes. Especially black men, yes. I think a lot of things in society is set up that way to the point where if you pointed it out, you would seem almost crazy and seem like you were yelling at the sky for no reason. Do I think that there are rituals and things that may seem slight? To me, it's equivalent to being baptized by just having water splashed on your face going through the ritual right? Like you could be in a lake doing that, or you could be dunked into a pool, you know, variations of the same ritual. And it's still taken the same way because the process is still the same. It's a version of it. It may be not on the same scale, but you know what it represents. So could that dress thing be represented to something else? Or just like when they say like the way certain things happen, you can't be tricked. You, the truth got to be told, right? Sometimes it's not a scary omission. And so some people could be like, like, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna screw you up like a bad contract. I could tell you that this contract is going to mess you up. And for me to be resolved to what I'm doing, I got to tell you up front that this is a bad contract. Some people will say it like that. 
And some people could be like, well, everybody gets a bad contract, so you might as well sign it because everybody will sign it. Or there could be a joke like, boy, you gonna sign your soul over to me, boy. <laughs> but you gonna get this big old contract. All the same offer, all presented differently at different levels, but it's still meeting the requirements for the process to happen. I'll say it like that. So you didn't you didn't want to answer my question. That's what you meant. It's, some things are undeniable. Really? I think if a lot of people have issues with it, then just don't do it. It's almost kind of like you get what you accept. And so do I think it's strange that, you know, it's a thing? Like the fact that it's a thing to me says enough. You know what I mean? Even if it's not true, if enough people are leaning that way, let's just say it is a thing and, and maybe not do it and let it be fine. It's not done. And if it's not a, such a big deal, then what's the pushback on the other side? What What is all that? What is all that? I think we talked about this before in the Kirk Franklin thing where it was just like, you know, lines are kind of being erased and it's almost like, I don't know. It, I think there's a lot of stuff going on and the more I kind of just being around long enough and seeing certain things or just seeing stuff for yourself and truths kind of coming out about things, it's like it's, the stuff that, I think that we're thinking is very light and not a big deal is probably bigger than we think. And when we start realizing that, I think we're held accountable in a different kind of way. Everybody's individual journey of, of how they live and stuff like that. But the, the more you know, the more you are responsible for. And so if something is a big deal to you and it goes against you personally, like you feel like it's not right, then by all means, do not do it. Regardless of if it's anything to it or not, you know. Thank mm -hmm. you.